Hey, you're listening to the Wise Words Book Club, where we don't just read, we remember. And in this case, we take the best ideas from some of the best non-fiction books and teach you how to apply them to the real world. So, without further ado, let's listen to some wise words. So, so <laughs> the question is, how do you read a book? <laughs> oh gosh, if only I knew. Um, what were your key takeaways, mate? Like, what, what was the first thing that spoke to you? It was kind of this aspect of uh, kind of like progressive overload in terms of reading. In terms of okay. like, to get better at reading, you need to read things that are beyond your ability, which sure. makes perfect sense. I think if you, if, if you think like you're always reading the same sort of stuff that you already know, then you're not pushing yourself, you know? And, um, and I think like a big thing that like, uh, well, Mortimer Adler, the author, like, um, tries to get across is that we need to start to go back to like the classics, go back to the sort of original point at where these things originated from. And because the, they're like hard, like realistically, there's a reason why they've stayed around for years and years. And mm-hmm. it's because they're like, they're classics, they're the greats. And the difference is that a lot of books today, you can read it, you can take like take the notes and then go away. But these books are so above your like above your head that you can read them go away come back and you still despite you've grown like you still uh, there's still so much to take away from the book and it's like as uh, while you go along and you update your sort of knowledge of the world and everything you have a different take on the book every time and i think that's that's why these like old classic books are so good for you and that we need to try and push ourselves rather than reading the same things like over and over again or the same level of things sure i i think there was a it was interesting as well like when you read one of the old sort of books they they are almost they're the first people they're the pioneers and they're tackling the initial problem if you kind of get me yeah so you get more context of what they were trying to solve um so yeah it's like you you can understand the problem from the like exactly what they're trying to solve so the example i i saw or i heard of was with like maths um we get told equations and solutions rather than actually the problems they're solving um so it's like we're starting off at the very very end we're starting off with like the solution but we don't actually know what they're like why why that solution matters or what what it's actually trying to achieve yeah um and when when you start at that point you kind of lose all the understanding that you would have gained if you understood the initial problem yeah um and like you need that sort of context to it it's like um you know one plus one equals two but why does one plus one equal two equal two you know you have to have what problem are you actually trying to solve not just like you know the mathematical equation to it um yeah and that's why these like greats these like writers are amazing because you need them like obviously they're not going to get everything right when they write these things like they are pioneers they are the ones that didn't just like question a system already put in place they um they invented it you know they like they they went into the they ventured into the unknown and i think that's that's the difference it's like now we have a lot of stuff that is built off i think you were saying the other day um uh like expository like sort of um information rather than like the revolutionary inf- information yeah 
And I think that that is a key thing because otherwise you're starting at like the end of the line, the end problem, rather than like knowing where all these problems originated from in the first place. Yeah, and also like the thought process that went into solving them. Um, I, I heard, a re- I think his interesting point was like one of the best ways to learn science was, I mean, I guess you kind of did this at school because you kind of did experiments, right? But the best way to learn is to actually undertake the experiments that they were doing. Yeah. But then then it becomes a level of actually understanding why you're doing those experiments. You never got really taught in chemistry of why the hell you're pouring this acid into this alkaline. Like why, like why, why should I care kind of thing? Um, and what, and what, what's the application in the real world, right? I think that's where a lot of people struggle. Um, I think, I think it's interesting as well. He had a point about um, that the best way to learn is also through discovery rather than instruction. Mm. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess this goes back down to like the open loop things like with, in terms of curiosity, right? So your brain, if you get just given an answer, your, your loop is already closed. You like, you, you've never asked a question. It's just that information stored. But if you ask a good question or you're curious about why something exists, right? You then open up uh, a loop in your brain, which then using like sort of either reading or doing research, et cetera, you try and figure out the way to close that loop. Yeah. And that's the best. That's the only way in my head that you can actually effectively learn. Yeah because then you're motivated to close that loop yourself. And otherwise, if people just give you the answer, it's easy. It's a bit like Google, right? You can just, you can Google anything you want and you're going to get an answer in 10 seconds. But that doesn't give you like sustained curiosity and true understanding. Yeah. You just kind of learn, like, as, as you say, like with the rotes, you just learn rotes. So you just learn the fact, but you don't actually learn what came before the fact. Yeah, it's, it, you're, you're learning the information, but not the understanding behind it. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all when like, you consider that, okay, so you're in, I don't know, year 10, and then you learn the information in that year, but you don't understand it. And then you go a year, a year later, you get even harder information, yet you still don't understand the basics. So it's like, you're just piling on all this information, trying to understand it, but you don't, like, yeah. you're, you're not taught that. The reason why you're not taught that is because you're not taught how to self-teach. And that, the, that is the, actually, like, one of the main things I got from this book is this self-teaching aspect. The, the fact that a teacher is should only help you as an aid you, but it should they shouldn't tell you how to connect the dots. They should yeah, tell you yeah. that the other dot exists and you have to connect it. Because realistically, you know, you have a completely different setup in your mind than anyone else. So no one else can know how you're going to connect that, what hook you're going to connect that to. And um, and so you need to you need to do it yourself. And I think being able to contextualize information so that you yourself can understand it is is crucial in in self teaching. Yeah, I I I think an interesting like analogy or metaphor I heard for um, the idea of just applying information rather than understanding is like you know the story of the Trojan horse where the Greeks yeah. um, went into Troy with a horse and obviously had their hidden the men hidden in the horse and obviously took them all by surprise and took over the city. Um, yeah like basically what happens is if you're learning information you are then just learning that like the concept of just doing that so basically if you learn just information you then think a good idea is to do it again you think right okay cool right let's get a trojan horse and let's go in but you, you're forgetting the underlying principle the underlying principle of that whole situation was it was it was surprising they would never have guessed that there are people hidden there and that's what surface level information is you kind of learn it and you think, right, that okay, that 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 meant that, therefore I could do it again. When in reality you're not understanding the mechanism behind why it was effective. Um Well it's novel, isn't it? It's like it's novel. It's not it's 
that that's what the surprise is is that it's not familiar if 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 they had done a hundred trojan horses i think you know they would see it coming the principle, essentially the principle behind it was um no, nobody had ever done it before they thought it was a gift um and uh they thought that they thought it was almost like a peace offering right so they'd been completely tricked um doing that again after people have become familiar with what it is wouldn't work yeah and that's kind of the point um yeah and i think if you if you apply that aspect to learning yeah and you know trying to instill sort of novel information so that your your mind is like peaked you know your mind uh your mind is interested in it because your mind has to process all this sort of new information so that it can categorize it and say oh whether it's a threat or not or whether it's going to help us in the future or not so i think when you apply that to self-teaching i think that is is crucial because the reason why you know how to read a book is trying to get that across is that books are absent teachers you know you don't have anyone to question when you're reading it you you only have yourself and i think when your brain is put into um a position where it has to try and figure something out. I think those are the crucial bits where, you know, it, you, you really grow because you have to adapt. Your brain, you are literally adapting to the knowledge you're taking in. Well, you have to, you have to connect the dots. Yeah. Your brain, your brain's an association machine, and it yeah. works connectively. So, um, and it makes yeah. It, in terms of what you were saying, in um, with the you're posing the gaps, like you're creating the gaps in your knowledge. Yeah. So I, 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 there's an interesting bit. You, you're obviously reading the molecule more at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. Where it, it kind of, I don't know. If it, I think it does talk about it, or James Clear at least talks about it. It's the reward prediction error. So it's like you predict your brain predicts something. So you, you've got this information coming in. You're, you're seeing something or this, this material, this teaching material for the first time, and you guess kind of what it means. If a teacher or, or somebody in a book can give you an example where you predict the answer, and then the answer is not what you predicted, you then spark up and pay attention if mm. you kind of get. Yeah, which I think really like the whole the whole idea back to this novelty thing is if you can present information which makes people go actually wait a second like I got that wrong I thought it was going to be this yeah but it means this or or this worked and then then you get curious because like why did that work why was I wrong a Um, perfect example I've seen of this is magicians mm -hmm. because um they they end up creating this mental model for you okay you're watching them and they're creating this whole thing and it's like oh okay you know it's in the left hand it's in the left hand and they're creating that mental model but what they're doing is they're purposely creating a wrong mental model yes that you're you're creating these sort of predictions and then what happens is you know when they when they show you the trick it's like oh wow, your predictions have been challenged. And then your brain suddenly like shoots into attention and goes, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should pay attention, you know? And if you can apply this sort of challenging predictions, you can can apply it to so many things. I was like humor, the same with like, you know, comedians, things like that. That's what humor is. It's like, oh, people think it's going to be this. And then suddenly the last bit is changed. Well, evolution makes sense. Your brain rewards these prediction errors because basically... If, if something happened in the past and you, you predicted it wrong, your brain then wants you to pay attention to be like, right, you need to figure this out because if you face this same like sort of uh, context again and you get it wrong again, this could be the difference between life and death. I mean, obviously it's not to that extent, but the whole point is your brain is wired to try and figure stuff out or to, is, it, it's reward system rewards you figuring something out or yeah. at least closing, closing a gap. Or if you, if you predicted something wrong, it then needs to know why. Um, but yeah, 
I've, the principles behind that are really interesting. I think it's really important for <clears throat> education and everything. Yeah. And I find also the best books and stuff I read or the ones that have the biggest impact are the ones that definitely induce this prediction error or sort of they tell me a story where I think I'll know the answer and then they sort of flip it on its head. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's kind of like questioning something that you haven't come across yet. Yeah. Or like giving you an alternative, something you didn't consider. Yeah. You get me? Um, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite examples is like, I've, I've read quite a lot around copywriting. Copywriting is like the art of getting somebody to buy and purchase something. And one of the best ways they ever get curiosity is they sort of, they take like a common conception that we all have as society, like a common thing, like, oh, you have to have a job, you have to get married. And they spin it on his head and they ask the question, like, do you? And then they try and make their point. And the whole point of that is, is it makes you question um, your original belief kind of thing. And then it sort of debunks it. And like, no, there's no doubt there's no objective truth in that. But the idea of taking something that you think you know and then spinning on its head, it yeah. gets your attention yeah. because you're so used to predicting that that's the correct way. So when they break it, you're like, oh, crap, why is that? Well, that's exactly it. It's like whether it's the right way or not, like you said, you know, there's no certainty in it, but it's another answer that you could substitute into that gap, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, will this make it make it work better for me or not? Because that's all you're doing is you're taking this novel information and you're substituting it in as an answer and seeing yeah. if it works as like a mental model. And depending yeah. on how well it works is dependent, like depends on what answer you pick, you know? Um, yeah. And that's why, like, the more answers you acquire, the more range of options you have. Yeah, I, I, it's not just answers, is it, man? I think it's more like the alter, the more perspectives you can consider. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I completely agree with that. I think the more the more ways you can look at something, the better. I think it was, I was saying to you the other day about the scientific revolution and like how um, uh, f- the physicians, like uh, people who study physics and then chemists, basically have. Def, um, different definitions of like what an atom is mm. and that's based on their prior learning and experience but they're describing the same thing and i really like this idea of like perspective is kind of like a lens you put your lenses on depending how you want to look at something so i could literally go into a social situation and put on a psychology lens and think what is this guy like why is he behaving that way then you could put on like um, a behavioral economics lens and be like what's the context like what what what's overarching in his life like why is he behaving this way that sort of thing and you come up with different explanations depending which lens you've got on or you could be looking at it through evolutionary biology like oh that he's obviously looking for status here or something similar to that if, if you get me yeah, yeah. Um, it really depends how you look at it and the problem we have is we have too many experts who are narrowing down into very specific things and you can only see it in one way when in reality um life is so multifaceted and there's so many different variables it's not actually one or the other it's actually just a combination yeah and your inability to pick up the fact that there's no one true cause and that there's obviously a load of variables is kind of like dumbfounding to most people because we believe life is just like black and white or we we get told to believe it is because there's answers apparently yeah that's exactly it and it's nothing is ever certain nothing is you know it's you you can't be looking at things as if there's one just one answer yeah you have to be able to question a lot of systems and and update them because we're constantly like evolving and we need to be able to adapt and to put a static rule on something that's forever changing doesn't make any sense because you know it's inevitable that it's going to um uh back i like the idea that change is the only constant (laughs) (laughs) so uh there's no such thing as really like consistent laws because everything's ever changing i mean the sun's like just a, just a big nuclear reaction and it's consistently changing it's never the same yeah um, so and it's, it's almost chaotic and random and that's kind of what scares us the most because we're so um 
we crave this idea that we we can bring order to things we can find meaning in things because that's how we've been wired but in reality that if you really want to go to the nihilistic perspective as well this is another lens i guess it's nothing everything's random and nothing really matters apart from the the meaning you kind of give it yeah so you actually have that power and that's kind of like a revolutionary idea for most people that they can actually choose their meaning yeah i think this this idea of order comes from things being at ease and like Mm -hmm. having familiarity with things and like I, i i came across this a lot in the book in terms of how you approach reading a book and what like the first the first aspect is like um inspection or reading and that entails skimming and and an and a superficial read so the skimming of course is basically you're going through and you're looking at certain areas and what the idea is to prime yourself like priming is so that you know if i see the word um book then it's much easier to go into my brain whenever i see it anywhere else so if you're skimming a whole book and certain like the contents and you're preparing yourself to read that's that's what it is in at the core at the core of it it's like preparing yourself to read so that it's easiest to read one when you're actually reading the whole book and then the superficial read is reading it all the way through and not stopping at any of the things that like pique your interest because that's going to slow you down if you focus on all the little points then you can't put together all the like the overarching point so um I think this idea of making things familiar priming like through through reading a book is very like is a great way to approach it because a lot of books, especially if you're reading nonfiction, they can be very dense. And so, yeah. you know, your brain stopping every, you know, 10 words to try and take in like a, a, a really hard concept is going to yeah. slow you down and you're going to, you're going to become overwhelmed. I think the idea is to either do like a superficial read, read through it straight away quickly once, and then you can go back. And the thing is when you do yeah. that, you've, you've come across all the bits that, you know um was like a main idea thing, right? yeah well you've got the main ideas but then you also like through the first read you come across areas that you struggle with the most and so yeah. you know where those areas are when you go back and read it again in depth okay. so what you're suggesting is you you read through the first time really quick you get like a rough skeletal structure of the whole book right the sort of main point the main ideas um how he structured it how he structured the thinking um, and you kind of skim through it to try and understand the logist, right? And then you skim over the, uh, I remember him saying something like you skim over the hard parts because um, that, like you just said, it slows you down. Yeah. So if you don't understand something, you kind of just move on this first time. Um, and then you sort of let that idea of like famili- familiarity settle in over time. So when you go back the second time and do it slower, you've got more chance of understanding it because you've got the, the, the bigger context or the big idea from the book. So yeah. then you can start to understand the nuance. Um, if you try this to... Um uh barbara oakland's book the um a mind for numbers and she talks about the diffuse mode being in place so you've got the focus mode where you know you're trying to figure something out and then when you like stop trying to figure it out it's still going on in the back of your brain and i think that applies to the sort of uh superficial read because when you do come across those points that are quite tricky when you go on your brain is still kind of trying to conceptualize them a bit trying to understand it so that the second time when you come through and you actually pay a bit more attention to it and read it analytically um i think you had a much better better place to handle it yeah I, i'm no i'm no neurobiologist but i would assume it's something to do with like that your brain is still trying to find these connections in in the diffuse mode you're like even though you're not thinking about it your brain is still trying to make sense of it to a degree trying to fit it into to where it should be placed if you kind of get me yeah um, 
so I think that's kind of what happens, right? It's um, it's is that sort of mechanism, I would assume. Um, but yeah, it's um, I I do like the idea of like trying to understand the big ideas before you um, sort of delve into the sort of details, sort of thing. Like understand what problem they're trying to solve. This is back to like what we said at the beginning. It's you try and understand where the author's coming from first, and what he's trying to like the point he's trying to make and why he's making it mm. before then going into like the details. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got um, a little like section of his that he uses as an analogy, which I think is great. He says, the reader tries to uncover the skeleton that the book conceals. The author starts with the skeleton and tries to cover it up. His aim is to conceal the skeleton artistically, or in other words, to put flesh on the bare bones. If he is a good writer, he does not bury a puny skeleton under a mass of fat. On the other hand, neither should the flesh be too thin so that the bones show through. If the flesh is thick enough and if flabbiness is avoided, the joints will be detectable and the motion of the parts will reveal the articulation. And I think that sums it up so well in terms of like a good writer, but also like what you're trying to find at the same time while you're reading it. Yeah, man. Tibet, he is, um, he's a very good communicator, actually. I really like the idea of, he almost sparked in me this idea of like metaphors and analogies to communicate mm. information. Obviously, like we said before, the brain's a connection machine. So, how can you make some? How can you make a brain which isn't familiar with something connect to something that's unfamiliar? Yeah. So, the way you do that is you use analogies and metaphors to convey a familiar concept. For example, I don't know, like you could talk about a rocket ship taking off, and that way, some everybody can understand and conceptualize what that is. And if you can explain a concept through something like that, people can get hold of it quicker. Mm. And I think he was the guy as well who introduced me to the origins of the word communication. And that it's all around to, is the root of the word communication is obviously common and it talks about making something common. So you can only communicate effectively when you make something common between the two people. Right. So I think it's interesting that we go through life and we, we think we're really communicating with people. But if we're talking in abstract language or stuff they can't quite understand, you literally are not communicating in terms of the actual definition of what it is. Yeah. Well, the common equals familiar, doesn't it? Like everyone, everyone is, is, and so it's like once you can explain something in a familiar term to someone else. Yeah, that's what they say. the The, the mark of a genius is to explain something in in its simplest terms, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Like, what was the thing? You don't know something uh, well enough until you can explain it to a six year old. I'm yeah. probably paraphrasing Einstein. It's something like that, but yeah, no, it is. I think it was Feynman or something. Yeah. But um, it makes it makes so much sense. Like the best teachers are obviously the ones who can basically get you to con- get anybody to conceptualize it almost or explain something so simply that it's like the whole the, the main idea is easy to grasp obviously there is like as you delve deep into these ideas there tends to be like nuances and differences in it but just to get to grasp the overall like concept is is best to do it simply yeah um, it, it's like i find uh, i found that with um uh the author of this book uh basically like his ability of like it's kind of like meta explaining because he explains how to explain. It's really strange. Um, it's very like, uh, it's very strange. Like it's very easy to read as in like you understand what he's saying because when he says something that might be hard to exp- like might be hard to understand, he then explains how he's understand, like how you should understand it. Like uh, while, while you're reading. So it's very like, you know, he'll say something that might be a bit of a stretch to to comprehend because he he's 
got a very good use of like the English language and some of the things you're like, oh God, I don't, I'm a bit out of my depth here. But then yeah. explain it as if like, you know, like we just said, you know, in the most simplest terms. Um, and I think especially with a book like this, um, you you need that because it's it's quite dense. There's, there's no lie about that. Um, and it's weird that you're coming across something that you've never really been taught before. Like it goes into depth of, you know, how to approach nonfiction and practical books yeah. and poetry. And I, like I've never once come across that at school where they teach you different ways to approach something, which makes perfect sense. It's like you're not approaching the same exact thing every single time there's a, an array of different subjects so it makes sense to you know have a different rule or you know a different way of approaching it um, yeah i think um there's a quote from francis bacon in the book which says some books are to be tasted others to be swallowed and some and some few to be chewed and uh, digested yeah but i think that kind of brings up this interesting point that like we kind of treat all reading and stuff as the same when in reality we shouldn't because there's different arguments to be made like science makes arguments on objective truth right and then philosophy is more considering the, the possibilities or questions of life. Um, and you don't really process these in the same sort of way. Yeah. Um, but yet we're kind of taught that it's all the same, right? Um, whereas, yeah, he makes a big sort of case for why we should treat different styles of writing, different, um, yeah, different categories differently. And it, it makes sense. You wouldn't treat um, different people exactly the same way. Yeah, exactly. Like, doesn't make sense you have so. to adapt to it and that's that's that idea of like you know adapting to you know something that a system that is completely different um and a way he talks about that is the reading speed in which you know not everything is supposed to be read at the same exact speed you know uh like think about how much realistically a book is someone's core ideas and then extrapolated on and yeah. then put context on and so it's like a lot of it is going to be fluff you know you're not going to have a point every you know three words so you know that that area is you know you can speed through that but the other areas that you need to pay more attention to you should slow down and it has to be this adaptability in like um speed reading uh yeah and not just yeah tackle everything in the same gung-ho sort of way yeah what in regards to what you read would you say there's any sort of like practical reading advice like what apart from obviously what we just discussed a minute ago about the sort of skim reading first understanding the structure understanding the big idea and then going back and reading more deeply if it's worth reading right i mean that's almost like a taste is this book worth it that's why you um, almost skim read in the first place but what other sort of practical actions would you say that you got from how to read well like it does go into uh, actual practical books and the difference but the actual practicalities of it i think it's 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 priming yourself with these questions to ask sure. you know you don't if you have a reason for why you're going to a book all the better really you know you have to have like you want to be you want to know what you're going to look for what you're trying to find you know that doesn't mean that you know you should avoid everything else that has nothing to do with it like you know confirmation bias or anything but if you have these sort of questions that are prompting you then then you're actively reading and that's an aspect that he talks about um in terms of like the best reading is active reading okay yeah the same is with listening okay you can listen to someone but you haven't really taken it in or you haven't like understood it 
but actively listening is completely different. It's, you know, your whole energy, uh, like all of your energy is applied to the other person trying to understand them. The same is with the book. You have this kind of relationship between the author and the reader, okay? As if he is talking to you and you have to actively yeah. listen. But in this case, it's reading and you have to actively read. And a way to do that is to, you know, perk yourself up by having these sort of four main questions in which, in which, um, in which to have at the back of your mind when when you're reading and like so the four are like what's this book about as a whole what's this book about in detail is this book true like can you critique it and what if it is you know how can you use it and so i think those are the steps in which you can you know take this sort of raw information get the ideas mix it with the context critique it and then apply it so you're taking raw information and then making it your own and how do you, you know, use that step process into applying this actual information that you require? Because everyone can read a book, but what's the point if it doesn't, if you can't do anything with the information or understanding of it? Sure. Yeah, no, it's all about like reading for understanding rather than information, right? Mm. Um, I'm just trying to look here at sort of the other sort of main things. What other sort of key points do you think that you got out of it? Um, well, I quite liked his... his uh his like the duality or the dichotomy between um between like non-fiction and fiction in terms of it, you know it, what you want in a non-fiction book is it for it to be very unambiguous okay you don't want the meaning to be very vague and very general in which you know anyone can take their own their own sort of approach because realistically you're kind of reading for facts or or yeah kind of factual information so you don't want to like have if if it's a communication between the author and and the reader you want them to be on the same page you, they don't want to be like you know writing something and then you misinterpreting it and then taking it somewhere else and like you know so i think this is where like he talks about a lot of terms and where like a word in the right place and the and the right meaning is a term mm -hmm. okay and and those applied because realistically like language changes over time you know mm. and uh, the meanings of words change over time but if you if you especially in non-fiction books um if you really define a word that you're, you're using because words are words change depending on what context they're in depending on yeah. you know whether you're talking about i think we had this chat the other day whether you you talk about helium in terms of uh physics or in terms of chemistry or biology yeah. it's all got a different kind of meaning and so you can really define that in the terms of the book that you're reading, like they're writing, then I think that's, that's really crucial. Um, where it's the complete opposite with, um, with fiction, because fiction plays on your imagination. And yeah. so the meaning doesn't have to be as precise. In fact, it's kind of the opposite where you want it almost very vague so that you can interpret it however you want. You're creating the world, you're creating the fantasy. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting the like sort of relationship between almost being the exact opposite to an extent. Sure. How would you have approached a book before? Okay, that's quite an interesting question. I guess honestly, I'm I quite like the idea of teasing out the main. So I would have skimmed originally, like, but I probably wouldn't have gone back. What I tend to do is I try to try to sort of rush my reading in a sense that I've got so many books like you, yourself that you have to read. So I'm just trying to figure out what's the main point. Mm. I try and get there as quickly as possible almost. Um I I like to say 
I habitually kind of try to get to the understanding. Like I, I always try to understand why they're saying this or what, what is the main point and why is it important? Um, I've definitely got better over time with that, but yeah, I think my main takeaway from this book and something I do now all the time is before even starting, I will look at the chapters, like you said, work out sort of an overall structure and what, what the point is of the book. I might even, um, try and find like a summary or a synopsis online beforehand. Mm. Um, to try and understand what is the point of the book, if you get me. I mean, yeah. most good books tend to have what, like, sort of the argument on the back or on the front, or it's almost self-explanatory. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm definitely more systematic in the way I do things now. Um, and I, I, I try to, but obviously nobody's ever perfect with the sort of questions he gives you about answering what the book's about and why the author's sort of asking or sort of talking about this in the first place. Yeah. Um. So now I'm kind of, yeah, I'm more systematic in the sense that I will read something and I'll think, why is he saying this? Or like, um, uh, what's the importance of this? And I, I try and uh, do it, uh, what's it, consciously almost, rather than subconsciously. So it's brought to my attention stuff, which I would never thought about, basically. Um, yeah. It's what you were saying with like the maths, as in like, you know, understanding the actual problem of what they're trying to solve. The same as book, you're trying to understand what the author is really trying to convey what they're trying to solve, what the problem is in the first place, you know? Um, so this is about practical books. He's like in practical books, um, you, what you're trying to find out is what the author uh, wants you to do and then find out how he proposes you to do it. So with like practical books, he's like, what's the author trying to get you to do? Is he trying to get you to be more confident with your public speaking? Is he trying to do this? And then the secondary question is like, finding out how he wants you to do that so if you're if it's a book on like how to win friends and influence people so like what he wants you to make more friends or influence people right and then then the second question is how is he how is he trying to propose you to do that so um i think that's quite interesting that you're you're, you're yeah the author's kind of whenever you're reading a book they're kind of not even just proposing ideas but provo- proposing methods as well specifically for practical books yeah no, especially um, and it, it, he makes that difference actually, like um, the difference between theoretical and um, and practical. Um, I remember him talking about scientific books as well, and he tries to sort of tease out the basic assumptions people are making. Mm. Um, yeah, I quite like this other quote from uh, Francis Bacon. Uh, he seems to like Francis Bacon. <laughs> um, so read not to contradict and confute, nor to believe and take for granted, nor to find talk and discourse, but to weigh and consider. So the whole point of uh, reading, he claims, is to, to weigh up the information that you've been given and consider it, which I quite like. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I, I, I kept seeing that in terms of there's kind of like this relationship between like narrowing and like comparing. So it's yeah. like the the author what is trying to sort of narrow it down like the meaning like we're talking in terms of what terms you know um and like a meaning being unambiguous and things like that um and then the reader needs to try and compare all these different things and try to find out which is like the best option because you can't yeah. know which is the best option without comparing you know it to, sure. to others um and that that like that came up quite a bit in the book. Um, this is another really interesting point I've just realised from my notes. So it talked about the difference between a demanding and an undemanding reader. So like he says, there's all the difference between a demanding and undemanding reader. So the latter asks no questions, so he gets no answers. Mm. If you're an undemanding reader, if you're reading maybe just to sort of, I don't know, 
almost like for entertainment rather than for understanding, you were asked no questions and you'll get no answers. You're passively going through the information, whereas the demanding reader is going to be actively going through the information, trying to understand it, asking questions. And I think another thing that I haven't done, but I know you're trying to do is um, you write systematically like the questions that you think the author's sort of trying to answer or any questions. So like you see an idea in a book now and you'll be like, right, I have a question about that. Like, what does that mean in this context or something? Mm. Uh, and opening these questions as you go along, going back to what we said at the beginning, like the only way you can really learn is by opening up these loops and trying to close them yourself. Yeah. Um, Cause it, it, the, the opening of a loop in itself actually motivates you to close it. Yeah. Whereas if you close it prematurely, like you Google something, you're like, Oh, that's the answer. That's it. That's done. And you don't try and keep it open and consider multiple options. Then yeah. you're, you're, you're inhibiting your growth you need to keep it a bit loose you know so yeah. like if you do come across another option you can see it as a possible substitute rather than yeah. like oh no i know that's wrong you know you got to black in the system mate you can't be brittle right it's, yeah it's kind of hard. yeah and i i i think it, what's 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 great about reading is that like you could be reading a book and it poses a question and the book may not answer the question, but what's weird is that that question might be answered by a completely different book. Exactly. Um, and I think that's what's fascinating because you're able to suddenly link it somewhere that you just didn't even see, you know, you didn't even like contemplate. Um, and I think it's quite hard to, you know, keep all these questions in your head. So I love to like note down questions that I come across in the book so that if they come across and I, I will like tag them on my um, Rome research, like unanswered questions so that I can go through them at some point and be like, okay, I've updated my knowledge or, you know, I've read a couple of books since then. And then I look at this question. I'm like, Oh, Oh wow. That actually relates to this. Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you're constantly making these little connections. I think and I'm going to do you as well. Call it open loops on Rome and just, just code like, build up a whole database of things i don't really know the answer to and just makes a lot of sense i think that it's so important um it's very easy not to and look what or to basically forget like you think about how many times you've had an amazing like question you know and um and and then not to be able to like answer it and i think he he talks about this in terms of philosophical um books and how to approach it and he talks about how you're when you're a child you have these questions that that are so wacky you know because they're not built of any like previous existing knowledge you know it's 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 purely creative and these questions tend to be the most hard to answer you know yeah. it's and all the philosophical questions are kind of easy to question but then incredibly hard to answer because there's no well yes but philosophy is like you're never going to have like a certain sort of answer but it's they say that when you're when you're a child you have this and then you kind of be con you're you get conditioned out of it you know yeah. school and work and college and everything like that what happens is you end up start to question for for information rather than understanding you know when you're with like a like i've got a little nephew and when he's about six and they say why 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 you know, and they keep, and it's, you can see their train of thought and they're just trying to connect the chain to another chain to another. And, mm -hmm. and that is it. They're trying to, uh, they're questioning for understanding. They're not questioning for, you know, spreadsheet information and things like that, that realistically doesn't make a difference and doesn't increase your, your understanding of something, you know? Um, and so I think 
what we need to be able to do is have that ability of our previous existing knowledge and being being an adult, but then also being able to question things that are outside the norm and under question understanding. No, hundred percent. Um, I think I think that the questioning is a, is an absolute skill and something we never do enough of. And I think you're right with the conditioning, mate. It's like if you look at what the whole schooling system does, is it kind of gives you this false sense that there's always an answer. Like you don't do you don't do an exam and go, oh, by the way, this 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 question still hasn't been answered. It's always like, this is the answer. You're right. This is wrong. I mean, I get with like sort of like stuff like maths. That's kind of true. Um, but with a lot of things, it's kind of open to debate and discussion. But what happens is we're kind of crushed. I almost see it as like a massive propaganda machine, like the whole schooling education system, in a way that it restricts uh, creativity and sort of. Um, hmm. I guess I guess the problem is they call curiosity. Um, what's it called? divergent i can't remember basically no sorry, that's it deviant curiosity is in, is actually essentially deviant because you are going against the established so therefore if you had everybody in society questioning you would never get anything done because everybody would just running around going oh you could do that differently you could do that so there needs to be some level of order but what happens is is get it's just crushing it out of like the majority of people and then yeah. you get bunch of almost like i call people who don't really question zombies because they literally don't have any other idea or questions that haven't or can't be answered to them um but yeah i think i'm just i kind of want to sort of wrap this whole thing up now in my head just like what if i was going to sort of summarize this whole entire book as well um what would you what would you sort of how would you go about sort of summarizing like the key points to take away i think the main the main thing to take away is you have to read actively and to read mm -hmm. actively you have to have prompt uh, like priming questions you know mm -hmm. things that you're trying to find out you know it's it's different in like fiction but i would say you yeah you want you want to be able to like stay engaged with the material and the thing that keeps you like engaged are these questions is this ability to be like oh how how does this relate to me you know, and if you're reading something and you're asking that question, there's no way that you can not be tuned in. You know, you 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 have like you will naturally be be active. No, hundred percent. Is there apart from that? Which is, I mean, I guess that's the principle behind sort of how to read a book. You need to be active. It needs to be almost challenging, like you said at the very beginning, a sort of slightly above maybe your intellectual level or um, something which definitely basically something you can't just read and sort of like um i, I want to use the word passive but sort of more like for entertainment like you can sit there and you can read it in like a day or two and not really have to grasp the material you kind of just you know you you skim through it all and you you understand everything i feel like that's not a good way to read you kind of really need to tussle with like the big ideas mm. um which obviously a, a core component of uh active reading um but i guess then the other thing was we've said this multiple times now is the idea of trying to understand the structure yeah. trying to um almost skim read it first to get the big ideas and what it all means and why it's why it's important to know um yeah the structure and context both of them yeah and then i'm just trying to think if there's anything else i mean obviously we've gone into some small like smaller sort of nuanced details um but in terms of actual actionable things i guess the actions that i would get people to take would be to before they read look at all the contents like the table of contents look at what each chapter is called try and figure out what each chapter will be about from the title um some books are better than others for that mm -hmm. um 
then I would obviously suggest, I think his suggestion was you go through each chapter and read like maybe two or three pages in each one just to get the gist yep. um, before you then come back and then read the whole thing through. Yep. I think one of his points as well was with this skim read, you can actually work out if it's a book worth reading, um, which yep. I think is actually important because if it's not, then just move on. Yeah. Um, once, you read, once you read through it, you know, for, for the actual context and you've yep. got that overarching um idea already it's much easier to be able to put that context and see how it relates you know yeah if you didn't have the like the overarching que- uh, like point to start mm-hmm. with, it's a bit hard to kind of relate yeah you've got nothing to hang the information on right you don't really know what problem it's solving and what's the idea like if you kind of like 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 there's a book on let's just say i read the one recently folly of fools on self-deception if i didn't know it was on self-deception i mean obviously it's, it's pretty obvious when it says that the logic of self-deception on the front cover yeah. but if you didn't know that you would never have any sort of concepts to originally hang it on yeah um so it's just important to understand what like what it's all about um yeah and so i think that was not like really that's the main thesis of the book Well, I hope you enjoyed that, guys. If you'd like to check out our book summary, head on over to our website, wisewords.blog. And if you feel like being inspired throughout the week with some little nuggets of wisdom, go and follow us on Instagram at wisewordsummaries. Until next time, guys, have a good one.